Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. We are here for episode 100. And I'm here with my yeah. my illustrious co-host, Matt Scott, who is, you can't see this in the video on YouTube, but he's actually wearing socks with his Birkenstocks. <laughs> And I, I am still, since, and I am still bald. So yeah, since this is episode 100, I'm just going to get a little bit more comfortable <laughs> and I'm going to drink my cheap beer while wearing socks and stocks. We, we are feeling more comfortable, but somehow we forgot everything that we were supposed to do with the podcast. Oh, yeah, today. Yeah. My microphone was over there and Paula says, uh, Scott, are you going to move your microphone? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I think one of the things that makes the podcast fun is that we don't take it too seriously. No. Thank goodness. And a special thanks to Frontrunner for supporting this week's podcast. Looking for adventure at a moment's notice? Introducing the new Slim Sport Roof Rack from Frontrunner. A low-profile, sleek alternative that's perfect for hauling sports equipment one day and driving the streets the next. Whether the day in the wild calls for camping, mountain bikes, sea gear, paddleboard, or just a few storage bags, the Slim Sport makes it easier to get there. Here's some key Slim Sport features. It's got a low-profile design to minimize drag noise and allow for easier access to low clearance garages. It has T-slots in the high strength aluminum slats that allow you to use most of Front Runner's top mount accessories. Side mount accessories are accommodated through available rack mounting brackets. It's also got the ability to add any of Front Runner's 55 plus accessories to the Slim Sport so you can set up your rack for any adventure. Choosing your next adventure has never been easier with the new Slim Sport roof rack. Slim Sport is available for select vehicle models. Visit FrontRunnerOutfitters.com to learn more. We are obviously very grateful for the people that help us pull it off. So part of episode 100 is to celebrate making it to hundred episodes. Yeah. There is a graveyard of podcasts that have made it to episode seven or yeah, 17 yeah, exactly. or whatever. And for us to make it to a hundred. And I would say that that success has so much to do with Paula Burr, our producer. She has been tirelessly support- yeah. Sorry, supporting. Sorry, you have to cut that swear out. <laughs> She's up there for yeah. those people Paul- watching. Paula is in YouTube. the crow's nest. She's in the, she's up top. Thank you, Paula, for all that you have done for this podcast. And also just very grateful for Ashley Giordano, who has taken the helm in the field and interviewed yeah. a bunch of people in remote areas, including Saudi Arabia. And Ashley's great. Yeah, she like, great. she cares so much. Like she's yeah. so detailed. Yeah. And I just, I just have opinions. <laughs> but you've got to have it all. You got to have I, the yin and the yang. I know things. You and Ashley and are like I the drink. yin and the yang. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course, Matt Swartz has been a big help as well. And, and we've done a bunch of great episodes on the stuff that we test editorially in Overland Journal. And then of course, the rest of the, the Overland Journal, Overland International staff that makes everything possible. And then Matt, your team that allows yeah. you to come over. Maybe they encourage you to come over here. I don't know. They, they actually do. Yeah. Laura was like, oh, you're doing a podcast today. That's great. Oh yeah. You should totally go do that. <laughs> go do that thing. Of course, you as our listeners, we are, we're so grateful that you have all given, given us the time to listen to the podcast and provide your feedback and your questions. We're going to go through some of your questions today. So please make sure that you reach out to Matt and me on Instagram. Uh, you can reach Matt at Matt Explore on Instagram and you're what you you're, you're Scott.a.com. Brady. Dot Brady on I Instagram. See, I, I liked your old one more. Global Overland. Like, I do you know. still have the handle? I do. I think it was cooler, but that's just me. It probably what, but I'm not that cool of a guy. So maybe I just went down, downhill on the cool scale. And then I've know. also been on, I've been on Twitter more, which is interesting. I thought it was so. TikTok. 
Not really. T- I mean, I, I do every once in a while post on TikTok. Yeah. I, I so. imagine you posting on TikTok would be like me posting on TikTok. It feels very uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. <laughs> and we're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> I think I'm doing it all wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember Caleb just, just kind of laughs at me when I refer to TikTok. He's like the marketing maven. Yeah. You got to have those yeah. guys for sure. But yeah, on, on Twitter, Scott underscore Brady been doing that a lot, but uh, we're just grateful for all of your insights, all of your feedback. And we're going to go into a little bit of that. Uh, we also want to take a moment in this podcast to uh, honor Bill Swales of Earthrummer, who passed away in the last few weeks. He was one of the earliest influences for me in the overland cool space. Very cool guy. I would consider him a great friend, great friend of the industry as well. And many may not know this, but Bill Swales was actually one of the first people to support Overland Journal starting as a magazine. He actually gave us a check. We ultimately ended up buying his interest back out again, but if it wasn't for Bill and his his uh, generosity and, yeah. his, and his support, he also provided us with the email list for all those Earthroamer owners who became many of our first subscribers. Bill, man, I miss you. That's really, yeah. it just breaks my heart. I, I like to it think that Bill had a good life though. You know, I mean, he got to do something that he really enjoyed. Yeah, and you could tell, you know, like every every time I go in my earthworm, you can just tell it how much thought and care was put into these yeah. machines, and how much he continued to evolve them, which just shows like he enjoyed doing it. You know, unfortunately, yeah, it just sucks that he passed away too early. Yeah, it's just so. super sad. I know he was starting to be able to travel more, which is which is wonderful. And yeah, he just dedicated so much of his life to building a great product. And he helped a lot of people along the way. Uh, he wasn't really public about that, but in my own life, he made a difference. And and I'm just really, really grateful for Bill and, and sad that he is yeah. gone. Check out earthroamer.com. Check out some of his yeah. stories that are still on there. They've got a bunch of information on Bill. And of course, he has a wonderful team that's continuing to make a great product. I wish them all the best going forward without them. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what you have been up to because <coughs> we need been, to have more been, podcasts just to keep up with your cars. I've been, I've been twerking. I've been working a lot. Um, we're, we're you really, have been working we're, a lot. We're cranking a lot of really cool things in Adventure Imports, a new uh, e-commerce side of things that we hope is really more targeted towards the, the core Overland guys. Like we're not trying to sell like LED light bars to Tacoma owners, trying to do real overland accessories and for people that are actually taking adventures, kind of launching some of our own products, which has been really fun. It's been a a huge creative outlet for me. We brought an actual degreed engineer on board to get some of the (laughs) things that are in my head out onto paper. I love it. Which is, which has been really, really fun. 3d printers ripping, laser scanners, all all kinds of stuff. So the goal is that we're trying to do everything in Prescott. You know, that's where we live. That's where we've, (laughs) I've, I've made my home and and I want to support our little neck of the woods. So, Yeah, I've been working on that. Cars. Have we spoken since about the Prospector XL? I think we we knew that you were getting it. I don't know that we talked much about it. Let's do that. You got rid of the TRX. I got rid of the TRX. It was, uh, I mean, still, I have to say, one of the best Grand Touring cars ever. I think the Raptor is a little better off-road because it's more of a modular system. You know, the the TRX is very much super truck. And I think where I maybe got bored with it was, aside from like being able to put wheels and stuff, which I didn't do onto it, it's not a lot you can modify. And I like, Mm. you know, outside of, like travel mat when I'm at home, I like to play with cars. Tinker. Yeah. I like sure. to tinker. So I had an opportunity to get a 
Prospector XL that was the exact matte spec. It was the uh, limited Longhorn and it has, it's it's all black, totally blacked out, 40s and all of the good things. AV just sent me the brush guard for it. and The brush guard looks so oh, good. Oh, it's awesome. I love it. I think it makes a huge difference in the truck. Yeah, I put a, I put a 52 gallon tank in it. I did the 8100 AV Bilstein shock upgrade, which is like, you know. What'd you notice with that? I haven't had it off road too much to really like dive too much into, into my thoughts on it. But I mean, definitely just on, you know, bigger G out speed bumps and and that kind of stuff. You know, it's a little bit more comfortable around town. Sure. I've just been working so much that it's like working and planning adventures and stuff. And does Um, it have more fluid capacity? It does have more fluid capacity. They're not adjustable shocks, which I kind of dig. Totally. Um, I, I know people don't ever adjust when we, them. Yeah. When we, you know, people set them to five and five, seven or three is what they always <laughs> set them to. Right. Yeah. But actually the same guy who did the factory tuning for the TRX did the tuning on these shocks. So I have, I have high, high hopes for them. Yeah. As I do from all, sure. uh, from all AEV products, but I bought my first airhead. I bought my first airhead. I bought my first air cooled car in the same week. You did in the same exact <laughs> week. Yeah, exactly. I ended up selling some stuff. I, I, I ended up selling, I, I sold my Ferrari. I, I had a beautiful four five, eight. I had a newer nine eleven. sold that. You know, if anybody that does follow cars, I bought this stuff pre pandemic, you know, or pre pandemic craze of pricing, yeah. I should say, because I did buy them during the pandemic with what cars have gone up. It was just like, by Felicia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that was the right choice. And you got to own them and enjoy them. And yeah, I, I got to drive a Ferrari for a year <clears throat> for, and literally get paid quite a bit of money to, to do it. I mean, it's yeah. crazy how much that car just skyrocketed. I, mean, I guess people just don't have anything else to spend their money on. It wasn't it the last of the, the last naturally aspirated, aspirated yeah. car. And it was, it was for, Ferrari certified, which was a big thing. It was one of the last four or five eights that were certified eligible to have it. And it, it was really cool. Don't get me wrong. You know, it was Rosso Corso. It had the traditional <clears throat> beige interior. It was like, you close your eyes and it was the Ferrari, but to be weird, I, like I didn't, it, it sounds weird, but I didn't really miss it when it went yeah. away. Like it was, it was cool, but I think some of these supercars are just getting so crazy in performance that you can't really enjoy them that much day to day. Yeah. So, you know, it was fun when I took it to the track and that kind of stuff, but, but what you replaced it with, you can enjoy every day. Yeah. It's, it's even flat out. You're still like not criminal speed. Yeah. My pickup truck's faster, but (laughs) yeah. So I bought a short wheelbase 911 that we're going to turn into kind of a vintage touring car. You know, right now we're looking at the same people who put on the Paris to Pekin rally. Um, also are launching one in 2024 in Southeast Asia and Southeast Asia is Lauren, my favorite place on the planet. So it starts in uh, Ho Chi Minh or Saigon goes into Cambodia, then Thailand, then Laos, and then back into Vietnam, goes through Sapa and then Hanoi and ends there. So I think we're going to probably try and do that in, that, in cool. that car. Oh yeah. in a little, in a little 911. Well, I have to say that, I mean, you've owned a lot of cars and you've owned a lot of really beautiful cars, but this is the most beautiful. It's really cool. It's the most beautiful car I've ever seen you own. Yeah. And, and it's probably one of the most beautiful cars like I've seen in person. You can go to a Barrett Jackson or whatever, and you kind of get overwhelmed by the beautiful cars. Yeah. So you don't really get There's a, a lot of amazing stuff. Out there. <clears throat> yeah. You don't get a, a chance to really kind of sit with it. Whereas the quality of the restoration and that white paint and the fact that white it's, ivory, yeah. it's so understated, it doesn't have a big Thin. It isn't. It isn't a wide body. It's. It's got these dainty elements to it. These like. Yeah. Really, it's, it's very dainty in a yeah. lot of ways. And um, somehow you and I fit in it, which is amazing. Well, that's that's the cool thing is that it, it is quite a small vehicle, but it was made for tall people. Sure, made for um, Germans. Made for Germans. Yeah. So I'm just so enjoying that. You know, I learned. <laughs> you know, kind of some of my older friends. You know, Bruce and Steve 
taught me how to time the car. I knew a little bit about carburation, but I haven't had to balance six carburetors at one time before. Sure. You know, so those are just skills that I can take with me. And it's faster than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's it's it only weighs about 2000 pounds. That's it's had a lot of weight reduction done to it in the right ways. Sure. I'm really really happy with it. Oh, and, so. and to me, it also, it speaks to travel still because yeah. people did travel in those cars. I mean, that one's lowered a little bit. I think you're going to correct that. But Yeah, it's in the process of, <clears throat> of being, uh, you know, raised to stock height, which sure. some people think is too high, but for how I'm going to use it, I just, I, I think it'll be perfect. I think so. it'll be totally perfect. And I, I think the ride quality will improve a little bit better yeah. and it'll help you with those potholes when you go through Cambodia. How exciting, man. That's amazing. I, I've got to do some kind of shakedown trip with it. Want to watch? to Mexico. That would be cool. It would be cool. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Carmel de Cabo. Perfect. Just getting, getting a few kind of air cooled guys together and, Sounds and fun. doing that would be really cool. Kind of connect two amazing places for sure on the map. I guess speaking of interesting cars, I just did a, a press launch on the, on the GMC AT4 X. I was sharing the vehicle with Andrew Manis, who I'd never met before. Um, I knew of him and he's, the editor of this new, the motoring journal, uh, which is just a beautiful coffee table style book, thick paper. And there's some folks in there that we know of. So they, they have a senior still frame hunter, um, by the name of Sinway Xavier, which we all know from the podcast. So, senior still frame hunter. Yeah. They're trying a little bit with that one. Sinway's slaying it yet again, but, uh, no, <laughs> that's, it's a that's very- the most LA job description or job <laughs> title I've ever heard in my life. That's true. This is, and this magazine's pretty LA, but it, it it, it's it's also very really it's nice beautifully looking. done, yeah. some thoughtful editorial and a, and a wide spectrum of content as well. Yeah, check it out. I'm always one to help promote small yeah, yeah. independent publications because yeah. we've been there. This is the book that you want. You may not know that you want it yet, but you do. So it's uh, the definitive history of the Camel Trophy by Nick Dimbleby, who is if he wasn't there, he knows the guy that was. Yep. It's crazy because we've been all over the world with Nick with Land Rover Adventures. Right. One of the most talented automotive photographers I know. No um, question. His style is so clean and distinctive in how clean and just technically perfect it is. And just one of the nicest guys. But this book is just, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you're getting a little, a little sneak peek. But just the images and the things that are in this book are really cool. It's very thoughtful. It's very well done. Um, it's definitely an insider's perspective on a really interesting part of automotive history and uh, overland history and and off-road history or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, I think the Camel Trophy had an an influence on many of us. Huge, huge. I know it did for me. Uh, I know I wanted to, you know, have a sand glow discovery so bad. And when you go through the book, just the level of detail, like if you want to geek out on like what the rack was and what the cases were that they put on the rack, it actually goes into all of that kind of detail. You know, if you're looking for letting your family know, like the gift that you want under the tree, none of this stuff is sponsored. These are just things, these are just things that we're, we love and we're passionate about. So yeah, the camel trophy, the definitive history. So check that out. It's a beautiful coffee table book that goes into really cool event. So yeah, it's, those are the props that we brought. Oh, did we bring the, did we bring the open L knife? We just got some cool knives. We, Matt and I needed an, a knife. We, I needed we need, a new cheese knife for the yeah, earth thrower. So, so it basically is something to keep in the wine cabinet. It's like a perfect camper knife. It's a cheese knife and a wine bottle opener. You're going to go get, oh, he's going to go get it. One of the things that I like about it is that it's 
super inexpensive. So I think it's $36 for this knife. And uh, yeah, but it's yeah. still nice quality. Super nice um, quality. You know, it's made in France. Just imagine all of the Amazon packages <laughs> and cheese you can cut with this. It even has a little a little lock, which is which oh, is yeah. quite nice. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I'm going to rant on knives for a second. I don't carry a knife anymore because I'm always around Overland people and it's like, hey, does anybody have a knife? And it's like, <laughs> like, like thousands of dollars of boutique made knives just get like, like, like switch bladed out instantly. <laughs> so I'm going to start carrying this. Um, it has a wine opener for my rosé habit. Yep. Or cheese. Yes. Or Amazon packages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're both on those Lululemon pants. Yeah, that's right. Uh, not sponsored. Yeah. But just buy them. I yeah. don't. I don't know what they are. But they're like they're a jean replacement <laughs> exactly. and they're stretchy and they're really durable. They dry really quickly. They're yeah. perfect for travel. Yeah, I, I talked about that with Brian Bass on the last episode. And uh, yeah, they make a, looks like a chambray, like a nice button down shirt. Oh yeah, you should. Super, super quick drying, yeah. super comfortable. Yeah, I wear it on every trip now. I just bring it along. It works great. I'm going to so. fiddle with this knife the entire podcast. It's like your, it's like your what do they call it? My fidget spinner. Fidget spin- Maybe I shouldn't have given you a knife to fiddle with. That's uh, That was yeah. cheese Cheers, cheese. Let's talk trips. Since we started the podcast, what do you think has been the trip that you've been on that, that had the biggest influence on you? You know, I guess since we've spent, since we've started the podcast, I've probably spent about, you know, a month or two in Africa on two yeah. different trips. And that place speaks to me. It just feels totally natural to be there. I, I am who I am and I like I like shiny things as much as I like, you know, camping in the dirt. And I think the cool thing with Africa is you can have this juxtaposition of both. If you want to stay at, you know, an amazing safari lodge, you yep. can. If you want to camp, you can. I, I think it's just something for everyone. I know that getting there is expensive, but once you're there, it's, it's not terribly expensive. It's not no. expensive at all. Yeah. I, I would say, I would say Africa for me has been, you know, Namibia, Tanzania. I, I'd, I'd like to go back to South Africa, maybe this winter. It, it's just cool. Cause I think it adds depth to your travels. You know, since starting Adventure Imports and doing the whole Max Tracks thing, I've been limited on what I can do. I'm not saying that I don't get out and I'm not saying that I like have it rough or, or anything. I'm just saying that it's not like when you were in Australia and you guys just took off. Yeah, I'm going to go off thing. for six months or whatever. Sure. Um, you know, I have responsibilities and employees. So Africa is this nice thing where I can kind of still be in touch, but then I can really get out of touch if I want to. Yeah, I, w- I would say Africa. I mean, for you, was it the boat thing? I would say so. The boat the, thing. The, the sailing experience was just totally transformative for me. Yeah. So you, you bought a boat and now you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're on your boat quite a bit. Yeah. It's like the lake house in Arizona, which is kind of nice. So, yeah. yeah. So I just, I go there for long weekends and read books and sail and, and I needed a hobby. And so now I've got one, which has been, which yeah. has been awesome. I think that it seems as if we're coming out of the whole pandemic thing and we're starting to plan some trips, Nice, you know, I, I know everybody is. And I think everybody kind of should be, you know, this industry has overlanding has rapidly become about the stuff and Mm. not the doing, which is fascinating. You know, I mean, I I get that I earn my living from, you know, selling stuff, but we always like to think that we encourage people 
you know, if it's max tracks or a trip, go take the trip. Yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to, to tuck to yuck tuck. We leave in almost exactly 30 days. We're going to do a little stop over at the Northwest Overland rally, which I think is the 16th to the 19th in plain Washington. Mm-hmm. So we'll be hanging out there. I really enjoy it. And I think it'll be a great place to start our trip. Well, so you've got, you've got Alaska coming, which will be amazing. So that's, that's really fun. So, so excited. You know, if anybody has any, any spots they recommend, you know, we're going to go up Cassiar Highway, then do Beautiful. the South Cannell Road, yeah. which I think will be fun. You totally. Know? I don't know if we'll really do the North Cannell Road because it's it is just an in and out. We have to kind of pick and choose where. Isn't we're there a go. way to connect from that South Cannell to another highway that brings you back around? I think so. I think you can not have to come back out on that one. Uh, it's the North Cannell Highway that you have to go in and out on. The South Cannell Highway goes from uh, the Alaska Highway. It's kind of south, and then it shoots you out by Ross River, right? Exactly, which will take you to Carmax, which Perfect. will take you to Dawson City, which then we'll eventually get on. I think that's the way to go because you don't have to be on the Alcan. That's nice. So that's a good, that's yeah. a good find. Yeah. So, you know, we're hoping to have a nice experience, shut off a little bit and, you know, it's just, I feel like we're, like I said, I feel like we're just coming out of this whole sure weird thing that we've all as, as a species dealt with for the last two years. And I'm really excited for 2023 and the travel potential that's there for that. I just flew on a plane without a mask on. It was just, it felt so unusual. Yeah. And of course, like if I was to sit down next to someone who was masked, I would ask them if they wanted me to be masked yeah. because there are people that have conditions, oh, yeah. conditions that benefit from more caution, but I happened to not, that happened to not be the case. So I was able to fly from to San Diego yeah. with no mask on. It was just the weirdest feeling to even walk into an airport without a mask on. You know, the, so weird. The, the next big thing is that test that you have to take to, to come back in the U S within 24 hours, the antigen test or yeah, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but a lot of countries don't require that. And it, it adds an element of risk you know, with so many people being asymptomatic or whatever. For sure. They're giving us, is it last year or the year before's flu shot now for COVID? Again, maybe that's a little too political, but you you really don't have a way to protect yourself other than exposure. And that only lasts for so long. So for the international stuff, like still the idea for us of, of like these quick trips, like we, we just did a week in Switzerland and, and, and Italy, but we had COVID in mid or end of January. So we knew that we still had a few months of clean, not getting it. Now that's a totally different thing. You know, that was yeah. April. Now we're looking into May or I guess that was March. I think you kind of get what I'm trying to say. It's, well, totally. It's like I remember when we a went- week trip can turn into a two week trip or a three week trip. Or a three week trip. Yeah. I remember when we went to Italy coming back, it's like I, I went ahead and did it as soon as I could to give me the most window. Yeah. And I and I did the test where I was like third party because if it came back, I could try to do the test again or I could try to find because it would be very easy to get stuck. You obviously don't want people country. flying with COVID and, right. and spreading it. Like I, I understand that. But it just changes the risk of it travel. Changes the risk profile. Yeah, you know? for sure. You could easily get stuck in a country for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like if, you know, if you have stuff going on with work and whatnot and yeah. a, a week is doable, but three. That yeah, changes isn't. it. Yeah, it definitely so, changes it. I don't know. Well, I'm hoping I get to go to Africa later in the summer. Where do you want to go? The goal would be to go from Cape Town to Cairo. Okay. So that's, it's all coming together. I just don't know if it'll be in a motorcycle or in a four wheel drive. We'll have some things to announce here soon. So 
Um, we're get, getting some final final pieces of the puzzle put together and keeping an eye on some of the border conditions and some of the visa requirements, particularly yeah. around Ethiopia. And Constantly that, so. changing. Well, they have a little skirmish going they on do. in the they north. Do. They do. Uh, and there's a way around it. You just, you know, you just Djibouti. go through Sudan. Or, uh, you come in through Uganda into South Sudan, and then you are able to go around Ethiopia. It's not ideal either. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, but just, I, it's okay. I'll figure it out. We're the, we're on our way back, you know, and I think that, you know, as we were talking in your office is starting to highlight some of the travels that, that people are doing on the podcast. And yep. I, th- I think that'll be nice. So that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about in the episode 100 is we would love to hear about your travels as well. So if you've gotten back from a significant overland adventure, just send us a little note where you were, uh, maybe a photo or something like that, that we can share. We'd love to just highlight where those that listen to the podcast have been in the the world uh, because all of you inspire us as well. So we we just really would love to know where you've been, maybe a lesson that you learned on the trip that we can share with the rest of the audience. So please feel free to reach out with us uh, to us with your recent exploits. So, And a special thanks to Moon Fabrications for supporting this week's podcast. Moonshade by Moon Fabrications is the portable vehicle awning you've been waiting for. Moonshade is built to last, simple to set up, and chips with everything you need to mount the Moonshade to most vehicle styles without a drill right out of the box. With over 60 square feet of shade coverage and multiple setup configurations, Moonshade is the ideal choice for rigs of all sizes. Moonshade only weighs 8 pounds and shrinks down to the size of a yoga mat so you can pack more of what you need out on the trail. Visit moonfab.com. That's M-O-O-N-F-A-B.com to place your order today. For the worst summer sun, treat yourself to the best. Moonshade has you covered. Thanks, Moonshade. It's been a weird world lately. It has. But hopefully it's, it's getting back. Yeah, it certainly has. And, you know, that, of course, it's on many of our hearts right now with the conflict in Europe. So obviously, you know, the whole Ukraine thing is bad. But for people horrible, that were planning horrible. to do, you know, Eastern Europe, that totally changes things. It does. You know, I kind of, ha- you know, I remember we were talking a few months ago. Hey, you know, let's just do like a quick round the world trip or something, do Europe, go through Russia. I hadn't seen, I haven't been to Russia, you know, do the stands, do Mongolia. And it's just funny that whole Eastern Europe, Silk Road or, or whatever you're doing, it goes in and out of Russia so much that you're just like, like, what do you do? Like, I know the Giordano's were talking about that and it's like, well, you can't go through Ukraine. You can't go, you know, you're not going to go through the other disputed kind of territories, Georgia, that kind of thing. It's it's amazing how many of them are affected. I mean, I was just reading about Tajikistan, you know, and and that was one of my favorite countries that I traveled through on the Silk Road and it's shut down. I mean, Kazakhstan is having all kinds of trouble and that was a a model of democracy for a while fighting going on in Uzbekistan right now. And so there's just, there's very real problems that would that would significantly complicate a Silk Road trip right now. Whereas five years ago, it was no big deal. And now it's a big deal. So well, it brings people things back like to if, South America again. Yeah. Don't wait. If you get an opportunity yeah, to go, just sure. go. Yeah, that's true. Because um, you don't know how things are going to change. So I think it's back to Africa and, and South America for most people. We're just, you know, we're hoping Southeast Asia really starts to open up. It's it's getting there, but, you know, it's just opening. It seems countries will open and they'll close and they'll open oh, yeah. and they'll close. And it's just a bit nerve wracking as far as, you know, trying to plan. And sometimes it opens or closes right when you're there. I mean, I, I remember rolling up to the border of Kyrgyzstan and just like it was the border was shut, just completely shut. And there was no indication that that was going to happen, but little, little skirmish kicked off at the end of the Fargana Valley and border no is shut. So <laughs> yeah, you, and you work around it, you figure it out. We're going to talk more about vehicles again, cause that's kind of fun. Let's talk about, you've had at last count 837 cars 
39, but yeah. Okay. That's right. I missed a couple of them that you've bought since we last talked <laughs> five minutes ago. <laughs> What's the favorite, your favorite car you've ever owned all time. And it's not like the one that you want to have back or whatever. It's not like bringing the ex-girlfriend back or whatever. Just what, what was the one that you just, it just made you smile at just your favorite. I'm actually trying to put thought and effort into this. I think I'm weird. I think that I romanticize cars and I'm not terribly sentimental. I think of cars that I had that I regret selling the most, the ones that I like look back and I'm like, okay, I, I would like to have another one of those. I love G wagons. Yeah. Um, you know, and I guess, well, I guess I just bought another one. It's older. It's a 300 GD. It's a, for, for G people, it's a, it's a W four, six, three, but it's has narrow axles. It doesn't have fender flares. It has a manual transmission roll up windows. I, I think the G wagons are really charming to me. Yeah, great, I think, I think a lot of the car. new ones send the wrong signal. Like, I appreciate them and I think they're cool. Like I had a, I had a 550, it was a 2016 that had the bi-turbo engine and mm. it was a cool car, but I think I like this white one in different ways more. I do regret selling that black G-Wagon sometimes. I regret selling my Land Rover 109 that I had like 10 years ago. That one was amazing. Yeah. The, the, the current owner still checks in with me and, you know, I sold that because I just, I didn't have the money to, to, to service it and, and fix it and give it the attention that it required. Well, um, maybe you'll get it back. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Although I think that Land Rovers are such a weird thing for me because I have so many friends that I, I, you know, I always say like, I'm here because of Land Rover. That company has given me amazing opportunities. The friends I've met through it and totally. whatever, but I, I don't know if I would honestly own another one. Like, I think the new Defender's cool, but I don't know if I would ever own one after kind of. Yeah. Know, what so. would you, what would you give up in order to own that? Yeah. What would you be saying no to? In order I, to say I have yes to say, to like, I am trying to kind of get, trying to have fewer things, but maybe more significant things. Yeah. You know, there's, there's always like a place in my garage that I'm kind of flipping. Right. Cause I just enjoy that. And I found a way to, I mean, I'm not screwing people. I'm just buying and selling at the right the market. The market's and, changing. Yeah. yeah. And I like to hang out in my garage and clean things up and detail stuff and, you know, do a lot of work myself. But I don't know. It's it, the, the, the garage seems very happy right now. You know, the earth roamers, the earth roamers, probably my favorite car that I have, you know, of by, by way of if I was to sell everything, I would keep that one. And you have kept it for a long time. I mean, longer than most vehicles. Longer than most. You know, I still have the Gladiator. You know, yeah. we, we we did list it for sale. I don't know. That's just like, I, I go through a lot of cars, right? But I'm but I'm finding that I like German stuff and, you know, the Earth Roamer side. I think that that would be kind of the killer combo. Would be the, the air-cooled 911. Yeah. And the modern G-Wagon that, that works also as an overland vehicle. Yeah. Like your dueling pistols. I think the Earth Roamer is really fascinating right now because that enables me to get out. You know, enables me to get out with Dak, our Greyhound, and it's comfortable for everyone. Yeah, you can work. We don't, we don't really do a lot of weekend trips. We kind of like to go out for a week or two weeks at a time, you know, overnighters are historically unusual for us. And that's where, you know, that's why we don't use the gladiator that much anymore because for what we're doing, the earth roamer is just minty. It works. Um, The earth roamer is like my boat, you know, it's like your boat, right? Is it, you know, I go out in the garage, you know, I crack a beer and I'm like, okay, I'm going to tackle this little project on it today. And I, and I really like that. The prospector is great. Like I could really see myself having the prospector for a long time or a prospector. You know, they're always, there's like this weird thing where you either have to commit to keeping something for a long time or you have to move them and true them quickly. Yeah, it's kind of, it's where people that get caught in the middle are usually those that, that kind of lose out on the values of the cars. True. 
Nobody wants to buy a car with 80,000 miles and pay top dollar, you know, for the modifications or whatever. But if that vehicle has 20 to 30,000 on it, still feels fresh, still feels fresh and new. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's definitely the 110 Defender 300 TDI five door. Yeah. Kind of that would be the, like, if I could only pick one car, it'd probably be that. I really like the one that's sitting behind us. Yeah. Like that thing is just super simple. I like the two door. It's just, that is like the most iconic, like 110. It's, it's very fit to purpose. Yeah, it's kind of like driving a motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. Like you, cause you're in the elements in a lot of ways with the soft top and well, and where we live in Prescott, like it's perfect. The weather's great. Do you hit 55 on the way <laughs> yeah. to work? The cruising speed in that truck is 50. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a fun thing to have in Prescott. So then uh, next rapid fire question, if you could only pick one defender, classic defender, 110 mm-hmm. G wagon four six three four six one. Take your pick. Seventy six series Land Cruiser or Nissan Patrol, like the GU. So the well, the Nissan Patrol. I I drove one of those for a little bit when I was working at the magazine in Australia, and that was terrible. Because did it have the three liter that like last version with that yeah. really small diesel? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was like it, it, it was not good. They're really capable off road. They have oh, a yeah. great chassis. Like oh, they yeah, flex sure. really well. It was for just sure. you know like the four two patrol GUs. Those yep. were really cool. Yeah. The the motor they put in the very last models was terrible. Yeah, it was a really small displacement. The 76 never did anything for me. I've spent quite a bit of time in those. They're cool. I like when they do the coil conversion in the rear because it kind of, you know, the the 70s, the newer V8 70s have a wider front axle than rear axle. And that can exhibit some interesting characteristics. Oh, yeah. In the kind sand like and the mud. Driving yeah. a, one of those Polaris slingshots or something. <laughs> it feels, it always felt like, you know, when you're pushing a, a shopping cart and like the, the wheels yeah. start shaking or you just always never going, it's never really well, the, going the straight. It rotates yeah, exactly. so much. <laughs> exactly. um, you know, so if it was a 78, if it was a Troopy, I think that the Troopy is still or a non-truck, like non-pickup truck or, or a wagon, non-like sure. van or something. I think the Troopy is still just perfect. <laughs> Yeah. You know, for always for, for an Overland traveler. Always. So Easy I guess my answer would be that I'm going to take the one that you didn't mention and say Troopy. That's um, cool, though. You can pick a Troopy. Yeah. Like, I mean, because you said 70 series earlier. Troopies are cool. You know, I just like them all. I'll yeah. take one of the above except for the the, the, the Nissan. I think that that's my answer is that I don't know that it really matters because they're all wonderful. They really are. I mean, if you think about how charming it would be to drive a 110 around the world or how, you know, reassuring it would be to drive a G wagon around the world or, or how unassuming it would be to drive a 76 around the world. I mean, I think they're just, if I had, if, if they were laid out in front of me and I had to drive, I had to pick one to leave on a, to the right is the, all of the crap you need to drive around the world. And on the left is your selection of vehicles. I think it would, it wouldn't be my favorite choice, but I think of the ones you mentioned, probably the 76. Yeah. Cause it's just going to work and mm-hmm. it's going to be unassuming. I love G wagons, but the problem with G wagons is that they can send, they, they can send the wrong message mm-hmm. in some parts of the world. And that's something that concerns me a little bit. Sure. They're also not likely to get stolen though. That's the challenge with the Land Cruiser is that Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I remember well Cyril Michelet, you, you know Cyril Inosa, but they I remember talking to him about why does he drive a Range Rover Classic in Guatemala and he just looked at me and he said, Scott, they never want to steal it from me. So like he ended up he ended up falling in love with the car, but he drove a Range Rover Classic because he would never get carjacked. There wasn't a market, <laughs> they were there wasn't a market for the parts. Mm. It wasn't like 
that they were going to take the car and, you know, and then pull the alternator out of it and sell it. Yeah, so he yeah. says, I don't drive Toyotas because I don't want to get carjacked. So that's an interesting, like yeah. it's all got the yin and the yang of all of it. It's just, there's so many facets to the decision. Yeah. So, I mean, in the G-Wagon case, it wouldn't be a vehicle that was desirable, but it may give an impression that you have resources that they want to, maybe they want your watch or they want your wallet. <sighs> it's a tough one. It is a tough one. I mean, if I was to drive around the world in anything right now, it would just be my prospector. There you go. <laughs> it has like a 52 gallon fuel tank <laughs> or my gladiator or something, you know, like it's, you know, yeah, both so, of those would be super cool. Yeah. Be great. But it doesn't really matter what you drive. I mean, I guess that's the moral of the story is that's right. Whatever is convenient and whatever you need, uh, whatever gets the job done and whatever is paid for. And I think they all grow on you. I think that your relationship with the vehicle yeah. oftentimes comes from your experience with it. And I find that you tend to hold on to the cars that you have those more meaningful experiences with. So like yeah. the earth roamer is a great example of that. You've done a bunch of great trips. Yeah. You like, you spend time in the car, you've got memories well, and associated I, and with I have it. my own time invested in the car too. Yeah. You know, like sure. I've, I've done a lot of work to that car, a lot of little upgrades and things. You know, we just had the, all the wheel bearings replaced and tie rod ends and ball joints and that kind of stuff that is just like incredibly boring, but actually part of maintaining like an expedition truck, you know, of that size. How do you think that we're at a hundred episodes now? How has the podcast either changed you or changed your view of overlanding? Well, one, I think it's really cool. All the people that have reached out to me on, on Instagram, that always helps you kind of keep going. Yeah. This isn't obviously like what's paying for the bills and that kind of stuff for us. You know, I like to think it is, it is a passion project. It's been a nice, it's been a nice creative thing to be able to do. You know, it allows me to get on my little soapbox every once in a while. And, you know, I know sometimes I have opinions that aren't. Don't change, Matt. Don't yeah. Change. Yeah. Don't change. I, I, I have opinions. You know, I think, I think what it's done for me is it's allowed me to kind of reconnect with that overland community after just going so far down the rabbit hole of, of the max tracks thing for so long, you know, I've dedicated so much of my life to that. This has allowed me to kind of get back into create a bit of a community that you want to be around, mm-hmm. you know, overlanding as we know it. I know that I'm always running on about this, but it's just changed so much. I got into overlanding when I was like 16 and I joined expedition portal. I'm 32 now. It's been more than my entire adult life. But for me, it was always a travel thing. That was the goal. Historically, I've never really had the cars and toys and stuff that I've had now. Obviously, they're like aspirational. And the first thing, when you have more money than time, as you go out and you buy stuff, I'd love to flip that again. I'd, I'd love to have more, more time, get out and actually do it. And I think interviewing some of these, these, you know, new generation of travelers and new generation of overlanders has been really cool. I enjoy doing them. I and mean, here's to another hundred of them. Yeah, absolutely. So how, how about you? Same question. For me, it's just incredibly humbling to see these people's stories, to hear their stories and to be reminded of what's the most important when you get like a couple, like the hourless life on here with their son and, and just how they're raising him around the world. Caspian Caspian was amazing on the podcast and we've been able to meet people that, that really have been changed in their own way by travel and to hear their stories and to learn about what's important to them and to have this consistent theme on from nearly everyone who's been on the podcast of that. The stuff doesn't matter. It's really about getting out there and having your version of an adventure. That's just been so rewarding for me to hear too, because Mm -hmm. it's what I have felt and to hear so many people mirror that yeah, um, has just been really wonderful. It's just been super humbling to be on the other side of the table from all these incredible travelers, yeah. people that uh, will be better travelers than I'll ever be, but they just have, have just been 
so the inspiring yeah. that a lot of these people have to break out of the mold. Yeah. When I was 21 and interviewing people for Expression Portal or Overland Journal or whatever, I was on the other side of the fence because I didn't like, I didn't understand what it meant to be like a settled adult and how much dedication it takes to actually just break away and to do something different. Because when you're young, like you have all these choices, you can choose what sure. paths you're going to go down. You know, I traveled a lot, but everybody kind of gets funneled into this path of normalcy. Yeah. And to see somebody jump, it's a trap, trap, but (laughs) to see some people jump off of that, that train is just like really inspiring to me now. Yeah. Cause it is, I guess one thing that I would say, we talk about stuff a lot. I guess we talk about stuff a lot because I'm, you know, it's relevant. People like stuff. And you you do need certain pieces of equipment to do certain things. And sometimes it's helpful to know which one's the best. And or at least I'm I'm totally aware that I have way too much stuff. Yeah. You know, you know, I've been pretty fortunate. I work really hard and you don't need it. You don't know you, you full stop. You you do not need any of the crap that I have. Yeah. Like I, I will say that the stuff that I have sometimes just not sometimes the things I have prevent me from traveling a lot. If I had just my earth roamer or a van or just my gladiator or something, there's no doubt in my mind I'd get out more, Yeah, but you get more, more stuff. You get more hobbies. It takes a lot of time. It takes time, mm-hmm. you know, where I feel like when I was younger, it was just, I was so focused and it's so cool to meet these people that, still share that focus and drive. Yeah, I would agree. There's a, there's a YouTube channel I've been watching called sailing Uma Mm. and it's this young couple. She's Haitian. He's from Canada. They bought like this super cheap sailboat and they fixed it all on their own. But their whole thing is don't buy a couch. She actually did a Ted talk on that. Okay. Some version of, and the whole idea is like, once you buy the couch, then you buy the, you know, the dinette and then you buy the utensils and the silverware and then you buy the house to stick it in. And then you, if you just don't ever buy the couch, don't buy the couch, don't ever buy the couch. It's It's, so true. And if you think about most of us in life, it's like one of the first things that we buy is a couch because you can sleep on the couch and you can sit up. Like if you just don't ever buy the couch, then think about all of the money that goes towards filling a home full of stuff or filling a life full of stuff. And if you never even start with that one thing, maybe it's a different path. It was pretty thoughtful insight. and I think for young people that now they have so many opportunities, so much opportunity for travel and yeah, remote this work way. and everything, you else. know, Airbnb, you don't have to, you don't, you, you can work remotely. Like all their employees yep. are going to be remotely remote. And you know that that trend is continuing and is growing. That wasn't really the case. And I was lucky I worked for you so I could go travel and I could go do things and that enabled that, but that wasn't necessarily normal then. Sure. Well, we were in a web based thing. Yeah. You know, like wherever I was typing my keys didn't necessarily matter. matter. I hope people, yeah, I hope more people don't buy a couch. Right. So that's Um, the theme of today. That's episode 100. I'm thankful for the things I've been able to do, but once you have the couch, then you get the house and you get stuff and then you have, and and it's not that it's not that buying a couch is wrong. It's just, I think maybe really thinking about the decision. Like, is that really the direction that I want for my life? Or is that the thing that everyone else does? So I just feel compelled to do it. And it's the same thing in overlanding. I mean, you don't, you don't have to buy a Tacoma and stick a go fast on it and, and add 35s and icons. You don't have to do that. You could just buy a stock Tacoma and stick a backpack full of camping gear in the back seat and go. Yeah. Like you, you don't have to do any of those things. You don't have to buy the couch. You don't have to buy all the gear. It's it's interesting because we have in the overland world now, we have a lot of people that are traveling full time. Yeah. People are just, they're traveling just in different ways. And a lot of that is, 
for sure. I, I don't even know if that's due to the pandemic necessarily, but well, travel, travel is now an option. So, yeah. and I think that that's what has changed. So many people realize that they can now do a through various means, including being a professional and working and living on the road. Yeah. They now have the option for that. And that's why we've seen so much growth in the overland space. The pandemic just supercharged that. And now that you can have Starlink and so, you can work from anywhere. I guess what, broad, I'm, what I'm getting at is like, is it traveling or is it alternative living uh, that a lot of the overland thing has become? You know, like it could be, you know, I know that like what I was going with like the, you know, people that kind of move around, it's like, you know, they're in quartzite this time of year, they're in Northern Arizona this time of year, then they moved to Colorado and then they kind of like repeat this like mm. cycle over and over and over again. And at a certain point, it's adventurous. It's cool. It's fun. That's a big part of where overlanding is growing. Like it seems like those are the people that are like admired, so to speak, or the full timers, but they're not. It's like it went from international travelers to full timers. Well, and maybe in defense of those people, it's because you haven't really been able to do that. Internationally yeah. Yeah. For the last couple yeah. of years. I think people have. I wonder if that will start to, to change, I, think, I guess, is where I'm like kind of. I think so. Conversation. I think so. I think people will start to get out yeah. more now that they can. We're seeing a lot more people going to Mexico again. And yeah. whereas two years ago, you didn't see that at all. So I think now that people can get out more, I think that they will Hopefully. as a percentage, I think it'll continue to improve, but it is definitely different. And that's, that could be a positive thing, but it's also just a reminder that we all have some responsibility in keeping these wild places that we travel to as pristine as we can. Yep preserve them for future generations for the next generation of overlander that wants to go to that beautiful spot you know pay attention to your trash and your human waste and everything yeah the human what we were talking yesterday the human waste is if it's not already an issue it's about to become one so many of these campsites are seeing people every night you know if you if you are in a campsite that is within 20 or 30 minutes drive of an interstate these days it just seems like you know that's like the it's like the perpetual flow of van life and you yep. have to pack that stuff out. You really do. Um, we've both been places where it's yep. just overwhelming. Well, let's go into some of the questions that our audience have asked us through the last year here. These are This is a very small representation of that, things that we can fit into the end of a podcast here. This is from Scott Hallenberg, and he says, I was looking at an article you wrote about Eagle Hout four-wheel drive conversions for the Sprinter. Uh, you hinted at comparison to a converted E350. So think like a sportsmobile conversion. Um, and he's kind of looking at a comparison between the two platforms. The Eagle Hout is unique because you end up with a 37-inch tire, front and rear locking differentials. A lot of G-Wagon components go into that conversion. And I would say that in many ways that it is similar in performance to the sportsmobile with the one exception is that the sportsmobile is a solid front axle um, and they can upgrade those axles to like a Dana 60 Dynatrack or whatever. So you end up with a much more robust drivetrain for a larger tire and then you end up with a lot more articulation. So the sportsmobiles are delivered with a sway bar disconnect. Um, So you end up with a a much more compliant ride off-road and you end up with a much more robust drivetrain. Uh, But there is something to be said for the Sprinter van. They drive a lot nicer. They're a little bit more smaller, compact, easier to park than a full-size E350. So if you're looking for kind of the ultimate in capability, I think that you're going to get there more quickly with the E-Series. But I think if you're looking for the best overall package, that Eagle Hout is really compelling. Do you need that much, I guess, is the question, says the guy who drives a truck on 41s. Do you need it? You know, that would be my my question. The the thing that I've found in the camper space is that I don't know if 37s on a Sprinter would actually be a good thing. You know, they're very tall vehicles. Yeah. 
they're not necessarily made or modified. You know, the track width isn't getting increased significantly to, to compensate for the increased center of gravity. I guess, you know, my, my question is, is do you need it? Because you can fit a 33 on a Sprinter. You know, is your tire caching checks that your chassis can't keep up with? Yeah, which is why so much of it gets upgraded when they do that conversion. Um, and not only that, like you're, you're carrying your house with you. That's true. You know, like like it gets really annoying having to repack plates and and your food and that's all true. of your stuff that's going to be. So I always think people are trying to have this jack of all trades. Well, you could buy a Sprinter and a Jeep for what one of those conversions would, would That's would true. Cost, it's an yeah. expensive conversion. Yeah. This is how I look at it, which is maybe a little different. Yep. I'm noticing because things are getting, it's so popular. There's so many people out there that if you have just another like Revel yeah. Sprinter, you're, you're destined to the same campsites that everybody else can get to, where if you've got another 10 or 15% capability and maybe mm. some driving experience and some training, uh, you can get that much more remote. I, I just did a trip up to Moab with the the GMC and the Scout Camper. And because I was willing to drive a much more technical trail, I got up to the top of this slick rock trail on this the top of this mountain. And I'm looking down over this valley and it is packed full of campers <laughs> and there's no one around me. Well, and that's a good argument. And, it, and it's just, argument. I think it helps to overcome the filter that yeah. just being the same kind of vehicle as everyone else has. Having a little bit more capability is a benefit. And then the more that we travel, remote, the more that we're going to run into that scenario where we end up with a rainstorm, yeah. mud, snowstorm. Fair. So having a little bit more reserve capability, I think is a benefit um, to that. And again, it's, we're never suggesting that people do that. It's just there, these are the upsides. You can get a little bit more remote. Like your Earthworm is a great example. Yeah. No other RV can get where you can go. Yeah. So you get, yeah. you get to have this really comfortable vehicle that much further away from all of the other folks. But any forerunner with that ground tent can go where I that's right. You know, I think my advice like I would be, do you actually want do you really need it? Do, do you really need it? Yeah, if sure. you want it, go for it. You know, that's always my thing is need versus wants. The next question is from Marco Breton and he is a long haul trucker and he has recently purchased a gladiator and he is wondering what kind of recommendations you would have for a lift that can also do good as a, for a tow vehicle using your gladiator for some towing. Oh, that's super easy. Give your money to AEV. Yeah. It, Cause they do make a high capacity. I've had multiple it. lifts on, on my gladiator. I've had factory lift springs. I've had aftermarket lift springs. I now have the AEV lift springs. The vehicle just rides and tracks better. You know, you're, you're correcting geometries up front rather than just kind of masking them with uh, additional flex from joints or, or, or something on your control arms. That's just an easy one. Just yeah. get the, get the AEV dual sport lift. Yeah. I think that's the key is that they make springs with, they also have capacity. the high capacity springs as that's an right. option. So, which I think is an important thing mm-hmm. for those that are towing. And then I really like the Hellwig rear sway bar on the gladiator. Yep. Good call. That really has just locked that vehicle down. Good advice. All right. Next one from Justin. Sometimes I don't get the whole name from people on Instagram, but longtime Overland Journal Expedition Portal follower. And he likes what we talk about with um, travel etiquette. So this is more just a reminder around being kind to the places that we visit. He says, I work in the Yukon Territory Parks and Service in some rather remote areas. I've had... Oh, I need to talk to this guy. Yeah. I've had some very serious run-ins with travelers on back roads and more than my fair share of close calls. And I think what he's talking about is speed and people that are unfamiliar with those conditions. Mostly people who have never driven these roads and are traveling much too fast or in a right-hand drive rig where the winding roads reduce forward visibility. It gives a really poor image of overlanding and can 
leave more than just the traveler in a serious situation where help is literally unreachable or many hours away, even by air. So thank you for that reminder, Justin. And it mm. is important as these vehicles become more and more capable, um, just think of like the UTV situation. You end up with something that basically can win classes of the Baja yeah. that you can buy brand new off the shelf. Uh, we always have a responsibility to drive at or near the speed limits. Most forest yeah. roads are 25 miles an hour. As an industry, we need to get so much better at this. Yeah, I get that you're trying to do lifestyle marketing, but you're filming that on public lands. Yeah. Eventually, there's not going to be people to buy your stuff when they can't. That's what'll happen. Public lands. That's what'll happen. It's so much get, easier. Things for will get shut down. Managers to just close the gate or like you and I have seen in Australia, they will be parked on the side of the trail with a speed gun Yeah, and they're going to nail you. And it's going to be really, really bad when you're doing 60 and a 25 and we're not trying to be the fun police at all. It's just, there's a, yeah, there's there's a a balance. And there's a big difference between a closed course in Baja where you see these guys doing that stuff. There's a big difference between you're in the desert with miles, like truly off-road with miles of visibility. Yeah. And there's people that are hiking. There's people on their mountain bikes. There's people on a motorcycle. There's real consequences when you, when that leak in your talent reservoir runs out, which it does. And we see it all the time on YouTube when Mm. people's talent runs out. So I think it's, it's not about being the fun police. It's just, if you don't have good visibility, please slow down. The the more remote you get, the more you should be slowing down because the consequences are even higher. If it's a heavily traveled area, slow it way, way, way down. The industry and you and your family are going to be way better off yeah. in the long haul with that. So thank you, Justin, for that reminder. And Justin, I'm going to reach out to you because I'm going to be yeah. in your neck of the woods. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll forward you his Instagram handle. Next one here is from the Galanda fam. Okay. Um, great question, I think. So family of four and they've got a heavily modified G-Wagon and they are okay. thinking of buying a prospector. Oh, I'm so qualified you, for this. You are like one of the most qualified people <laughs> on the planet to answer that question. So for someone who had a G-Wagon and has a prospector now, what do you think about his thought about making the change? Family of four. It comes down to a choice of size. Any perceived capability that the prospector is going to give you with whether you go with a prospector on 37 inch tires or a prospector. XL on 40s is going to be diminished by the fact that a prospector is nearly twice the size of a G-Wagon. We get this idea of G-Wagons being big. They're actually small. My G-Wagon is about a foot shorter than my wife's Subaru Crosstrek. Yeah. And Designed in the late 70s. Yeah. So they're not they're, big cars. They're not big cars. Um, depending on how big of fender flares you have on them, they're, I mean, they're still just narrow, near, narrow vehicles. I think they're also very space efficient inside. Um, big box. Pickup trucks are, are, are a challenge. Like we run in this with our dog, not, not with two kids, but he is basically the size of two kids is that we're where do you then put all of your stuff in a pickup truck? When you have an SUV, you have four or five seats, and then you have a cargo area behind. You have a full length roof rack that, that you can do. Yeah. Everything's out of the dust. Yeah. The fridge is inside the HVAC, so it's not working as hard. Exactly. So first thing that he should consider, uh, what was his name? He is the Galanda fam. Oh, he's just Galanda fam. Okay. Well, Galanda fam, what you should uh, consider size. You know, there's probably a reason that you like the G-Wagon. For me, I find that it's size. The the Prospector XL is going to be more comfortable. It's going to be easier to drive and you're going to be able to put a camper on the back, which maybe that's the direction that you're going. You know, you have your seats inside and then you have your living space or camping stuff, you know, in the back of the bed. Yeah, that's but- where I see the the hack with the full size is that you get to have a camper on the back of it. Mm -hmm. Like if you're not going to install a camper on a full size, I'm really not so sure what the advantage is. Yeah. And Um, believe it or not, I think you're actually right. 
when you say that the, the prospector will be more comfortable, which is a crazy thing to say yeah. that a prospector will be more comfortable than a G wagon, but it is amazing. E- it's even, amazing how comfortable your truck is. Even modern G wagons. Like I, I, ha- I don't have a lot of experience in the four, six, three a, which is like 2019 and above. Um, but I've had, you know, the last generation of G wagon and the first generation of the four, six, three, I haven't owned a four sixty or four, six, one. Yeah. If I'm driving across the country, even on that 2016 that I had. No, not super they're good. Si- they're, they're great city vehicles. Like that's why you see them in bougie. That's why I see so many of them in Hollywood. Yeah. They're small, easy, easy, easy to, to park, drive. Yeah. Great visibility. So yeah, for sure. There you go. That's some good insights on that for sure. So this is from Vince Peterson. And this is a really thoughtful comment that he made uh, with all the craziness in the world right now. He says, I just wanted to be reminded of the quote that we had on the podcast, which is that people are generally good and that governments are generally bad. And he says that we're, you know, we're all praying for peace. And he's talking about the conflict in in Ukraine right now. Um, But that is an important reminder is that there are in any country, even if even if it's one that we may be concerned about because of conflicts like this, there are still so many people that are living there. You know, I think about uh, the people that I've used in, in Russia to help me solve problems translator that I crossed the country with. That was just a wonderful person. The fixer that helped me get the vehicles into a container in Vladivostok, another wonderful human being, Polina, you know, it just makes me remember that despite the fact that, that things can be so tragic at the global scale or at the governmental scale that there are all these individuals that we interact with as travelers um, and that people are generally good. They want the same things that we Mm -hmm. do. So I think that that was an important reminder. And it is something we've said a lot on the podcast and I found it to generally be true. I don't remember ever in my travels running into just a group of people or a society of people that were horrible. Maybe you've had a different experience, but I've actually just had generally positive experiences traveling. Yeah. Like people are generally good. Yeah. But thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks for that reminder. reminder. Vince, appreciate that. Uh, Last one that we've got is uh, from Brian Stuman. Have you reviewed any hitch mounted tire carriers? He doesn't want to throw the tire on his roof rack. And we have reviewed a lot of those hitch mounted tire carriers. And they're generally terrible um, because they're trying to reach a price point. So they make a lot of noise. And the rigged one is the best that I've come across. It has a pretty unique uh, locking system in the hitch to prevent sway. And it's got a good latch on it. If it's, if it's something that you have to have, I would, I would strongly encourage you to look at the rigged. It's like R I G D. Yeah. They have some anti-vibration tensioner in the hitch itself, but it's important to remember that you're now putting a lot of leverage on the vehicle very far back. Uh, you're compromising your departure angle. It restricts you doing other things like having a mountain bike or other things that you can put in yeah. into the hitch. And the vehicle is really the not designed. Actually, allows you to have a. They have like a separate hitch for mountain bike stuff. Oh, that's clever. It's kind of cool. They're all kind of inherently flawed d- designs when you think of it. It's um, a compromised solution to yeah. just mounting a tire someplace else. Sometimes it's all you can do to fit an mm-hmm. oversized tire because they it's don't. Really, really popular on like the Prospector XLs. If people do a camper, they have nowhere to put their spare. Yeah. A lot of them just make, a, they make a lot of noise and vibration. So it's just good to find one that has an anti-vibration mechanism to it. Yeah. Where it tensions into the receiver. Thank you, Brian, for that. For those that have other questions, uh, please feel free to reach out to Matt or myself. We talked yeah. about how to get a hold of us. You can reach me at scott.a.brady. And I'm Matt Explorer. Yeah. So let us know what you guys have additional questions on. And we appreciate all of you for listening to the podcast for enduring both mine and Matt's rants on occasion. It, and it just because- Matt's we, opinions. 
Yeah, well, well, you really care about the industry, man, yeah. and, and it comes across. It's been my life. Yeah, it comes across. We both feel that way. We're so grateful for all of you listening. One of the main reasons why this podcast is available is because of the Overland Journal print publication. For those that have reached out and asked how else they can support the podcast, just becoming a subscriber makes huge. a huge difference. Check out the magazine at overlandjournal.com. We appreciate that. And again, thank you, Paula Burr, for being our producer and for making... My job so much easier and allowing us to get this content out to to those who listen. So we thank you all for listening. We will talk to you next time.